You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Tech Fan Podcast number 323. I'm going to spend an entire episode looking backwards. Check it out. Yeah, I know I haven't played that music in quite a while here at the beginning of Tech Fan. That, that's our original theme music that you hear. I mean, that isn't some canned music that I found online and, you know, swiped to use at the beginning of Tech Fan. The opposite is actually true for the music at the end of each episode. <laughs> I did just find that online. Uh, but the beginning, that is our theme. It's... Uh, Music that I commissioned and paid for, and I don't use it very often. I probably should, right? I mean, it's it's kind of badass music, and yet I hardly ever play it. I don't know. There, I flip-flop between wanting to use it. I love it when I hear it, don't get me wrong. And not using it simply because we do that little My Mac Podcasting Network intro, and then it's just David and I start talking, or... David and Owen or Owen and I, or all three of us really soon. I hope, um, this is a, this is a quandary. I, I really like the music, but I don't know. I, I, a big part of me feels like people are tuning into tech fan to listen to that music. They just want to get on with whatever David and I, or whoever going to talk about this week. But this is a little different this week because you're actually going to hear another theme song coming up in a few minutes. And it's the My Mac podcasting or My Mac podcast theme. It's going to sound a little different. If you're listening to Guy and Gaz right now on the My Mac podcast, it's going to probably seem weird to hear it on this show. Well, there's a reason for that, and that is this is a best of. <clears throat> but it's not a best of tech fan. It's kind of a best of Tim in a way because I'm the glue that holds uh, the best of together for this episode. And that is because, as some of you know, uh, I used to host the MyMac podcast. Uh, for a long time, it was uh, Chad Perry and I doing the show, and then Guy Ciro came in. And for a while, it was me, Guy, and David. Um, long story short, I made a best of for Guy and Gaz to use. They used one of them, I believe, the first one that I put together from the very, very early days of the MyMac podcast. But I had made a volume two, and uh, honestly, Guy never used it. And so I knew I didn't have David this week, and I honestly, I didn't reach out to Owen early enough. So I, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll do a solo show. I just didn't know what to talk about, to be honest. It's one of those things that, you know, you look forward to getting in front of the mic, but uh, you just you're so busy. Um, you feel a little bit uninspired, and you're feeling nostalgic. I don't know where the nostalgia is coming from, but I have been lately. Uh, I listened to a couple really old episodes of the MyMac podcast to kind of revisit that time. And so, knowing that I didn't have either David or Owen, I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and uh, put together a, a best of tech fan. So I sat down at the computer this morning. It's literally 6 o'clock Sunday morning right now as I record this. It's the whole fall back in time thing. You know what I mean? The end of daylight savings. So now it's the time that it's supposed to be. Um, <clears throat> anyways, regardless, didn't really know where to start. And I started thinking, I... I, I I don't know. I want some kind of a best of show that maybe people on the tech fan podcast, the listeners have never heard. Well, wait a minute. What about that thing that I put together for guy? Sure enough, it was still sitting in the Dropbox, and I made it in 2013. So it might, this best of is it's been sitting out there for a long time, waiting for someone to hear it. And since, you know, I, I still own the MyMac podcast, it's not like I'm stealing somebody else's stuff. It's my stuff. 
and I'm in these uh, discussions. So it's a four-part best of. The first part, I think most of you are going to get a kick out of. It was actually recorded in the, what was it, the press room at the Macworld Expo, January 2007. And it was recorded right after we, the we being the MyMac staff, <clears throat> got together after the iPhone was uh, first unveiled. So definitely historic. You know, it's we just saw the iPhone for the very first time. And there's quite a few of us in there. Guy Searle's in there. John Nemo's in here. Larry Grinnell. Uh, David Weeks. Uh, I think the iPron guys were in there too, but I don't remember if we actually uh, talked to them on the mic or not. We, we might have. I didn't listen to the whole thing. I kind of skipped through it just to see what was on this best of that I made four years ago. The second part was from February 2007 as well, and it's an interview with Adam Christensen, who of course is uh, the host of the MacCast. And I think this is the first time that I never really in depth or at length anyways, talked to Adam. Uh, good guy. Uh, I think it was a really fun interview. We do an interview with Chris Breen from June 2007. Chris Breen, of course, was the big head honcho, or one of them anyways, at Macworld Magazine at the time, which obviously doesn't even exist today. The website's still there, but Chris Breen today does, uh, what is it, Six Colors? I think that's his his website. Well, I'm recording a message, just go look, right? Let's see. Oh, wow. Something happened to some of my, uh, oh, no, I put it under tech. Yeah, Six Colors. So Chris Breen's site now is sixcolors.com. He's a fantastic writer. It really is. I only wish I had a tenth of his uh, skill on a keyboard. And the last part is <clears throat> kind of out of left field, to be honest with you. Um, when I did OWC Radio, I interviewed a lot of creatives, both actors, directors, writers, um just all kinds of people. And I didn't really do a whole lot of that at the MyMac podcast, but at one point in June, 2008, I had an opportunity to interview Kelly Kege. Uh, he is, well, I'm, you know what? I'm just going to read the beginning of his Wikipedia page. Uh, Kelly Kege is an American drummer and vocalist best known for his work with Night Ranger. Kigi sang lead vocals on several of their hits, such as Sister Christian, Sing Me Away, and Sentimental Street. So you, look, you guys know Sister Christensen, and, or Sister Christian, I should say. So you've heard the guy's voice. <clears throat> it was an inter interesting story because we kept missing each other. And <laughs> his publicist had my cell phone number. So I'm literally at the store. I'm at a grocery store just picking up a few things and my cell phone rings and it's the guy who sings for night ranger on the phone <laughs> apologizing profusely to me uh, for missing this interview uh we got it done we we did the interview now the audio quality isn't the greatest with that one because look it was it was june 2008 uh voice over ip or internet chatting wasn't great at the time but we got it done. You can hear him just fine. And it was fun. And I actually put some Night Ranger music in that interview with his permission, I should say. So that's what this episode is. It's uh, three interviews and kind of four. But the fourth is more of a roundtable discussion about the iPhone. And you'll hear that here in a second. You'll also hear the MyMac theme, uh, the MyMac podcast theme. Um, I think it says with Tim Robertson and Chad Perry, maybe. I'm not sure. Um Hey, it's history, right? It's, uh, wow, 10, 10 and 9 years old, some of this stuff. I've been doing this for a while, you know. Speaking of doing it for a while, our sponsor, of course, is MacSales.com. They've been doing just really cool stuff for a number of years. And one of the things that I've always liked is they have this called... Um, Pro Corner, and then they do some interviews on their blog. And they just did this uh, kind of an interview, kind of this article uh, about a company called Sarkovsky. Sarovsky, sorry. 
And what they do is their video production company, they did the opening sequence in Captain America, The Winter Soldier, which is a really cool opening sequence. And it turns out they did it, the whole thing. And look, this is a top-tier production company. They did the whole thing uh, using older silver Mac Pros. So how do they use these old machines? Well, of course, they use a whole lot of OWC technology from MacSales.com to upgrade those machines and keep them running. This is a really cool article. I'm going to put a link into it. They, they are our sponsor, but beyond that, it's just kind of cool to see that you don't have to have the latest, greatest, most powerful stuff to get, look, blockbuster movie type of uh production out of your stuff you don't you don't have to have that it's going to be less expensive to upgrade that equipment than go out and buy an all-new equipment and it allowed this company to spend the resources rather than buying new stuff but on talent because the talent's gonna of course net you more work that sort of thing so i think it was really interesting i'm gonna put it in here if you've got an old Silver Mac Pro and you're thinking about, yeah, you know what, I'm going to have to upgrade, maybe not. That was a weird sound, wasn't it? I don't know if I've ever done that on a show before. The dog's going to come running thinking I'm calling them or something like that. So thanks to MacSales.com for sponsoring this episode of Tech Fan. And again, I know this is Tech Fan, but everything else is going to be called the MyMac Podcast. It's, look, it, it was... My history in podcasting started at the MyMac show. I retired from that to do OWC radio. And when I took a job as COO of Mac Specialist, Apple really didn't want me to be doing <laughs> OWC radio. So they kind of, well, they didn't even hint. They just basically told me they'd prefer if I didn't do that. So I then started TechFan in 2010. And, uh, don't think David was on the first one. I think he, David came on board the second or third episode. But it's been David and I ever since. So it's been a long time that I've been podcasting. It's been uh, almost 13 years now. Well, let's see. You know, it has been 13 years. I started in 2004. So 13 years coming up on 14 years. And in, uh, in this really cool thing that I love so much. I just didn't know if I wanted to do a solo entire episode, although I'm coming up on 13 minutes here solo, so maybe I should have just done a solo show. But yeah, I like to look back sometimes, remind you of the things that you've done. I, I've done so many interviews and stuff. I can't tell you how many interviews I've done between OWC, Geekiest Show Ever, OWC Radio, Tech Fan. I've, I've talked to so many people. Um, so it's kind of fun for me personally uh, to go back and listen to some of this stuff. So I'm actually going to listen to this entire episode back after I get done recording it, probably driving to work tomorrow. So uh, for you know, forgive my indulgence here, but I want to hear these interviews again. They were fun, and uh, I hope you enjoy them as well. Make sure you send us some feedback. It's the show at techfanpodcast.com. David will be back next week, possibly with Owen. I do want to do the uh, three-way discussion. Uh, after I get done recording this and the kids finally get up out of bed, I'm going to go take them to see the new Thor Ragnarok movie around noon today. Um, it looks really good. All the reviews sound good. It sounds like a fun movie. And after everything that's going on in the world for the last few months, a, a fun escapism movie sounds right up my uh, sounds right up my alley today. You know, just kind of relax, and it's getting a little chilly here. It's been raining a lot. Get in a nice warm movie theater and just enjoy a good flick. Doesn't that sound like fun? Just to me. So make sure you visit our sponsor, MacSales.com. Follow the link from either MyMac.com or TechFanPodcast.com. Read this cool article that I posted up there. Um, I think it's definitely worth your time, and enjoy these interviews. I'll see you in a week. My Mac Podcast Special Edition at the Macworld Expo, number one. The next generation of radio, it's the MyMac.com Podcast. Well, we're at 
the uh, Macworld Expo in San Francisco 2007. The Steve Jobs keynote just ended, and uh, we're at the Media Center here at the Moscone. Where are we at Moscone South? Is that what this Moscone is? Moscone South. And uh, Guy Searles here. Uh, go ahead and introduce everybody. Oh, okay. Well, over here, all the way over, of course, nobody can see it because this isn't video. It's my brother, Larry Grinnell. We have David Avery right no. next to him. No, oh, no. Oh. David Weeks. David Weeks. Please, if I were David Avery, I'm David Weeks. David Weeks. Uh, Tim is sitting next to him. I'm next to David. I'm oh, sorry. I'm next to Tim. And sitting next to me is John Nemo. Hi, everybody. Now, we are on one microphone. Uh, the audio quality is probably not going to be quite up to what we're used to, but, hey, we're portable, right? That's right. We're, we're out on the road, and we got to make do with what we got to do. We're also sitting with the iProng guys today. Uh, we joined them at the table. And, uh, they're, we stole their table. We, well, yeah, because there's more of us. <laughs> but, they had it, but they had it first. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> That's right. So, so we had the uh, keynote, and uh, so much for the Mac World Expo. It, it, there wasn't very much to no, do with Macs. It seems to be more of a uh, iPhone Expo, and uh, the the little bit that we've seen from the iPhone. Um, the little bit? Well, let's, more than a little bit. That's there. true. That's true. But that, I, that was like an hour and a half of a telephone. Well, you know, it's funny. He was saying that by the end of 2008, that Apple's expecting to see 1% of the marketplace. I have a feeling that their market share might be a little higher than that. That's right. Uh, let's get some uh, opinions from the rest of the staff here. We're going to start with Larry. He's the new guy here. We're still waiting for Bakari. I'm, I'm hoping that Bakari shows up. Did anybody tell? Okay. Well, maybe we can get John to call Bakari on the phone. We can get him on the show, too. Uh, and we're going to keep this a little bit short since this is kind of a Tim hasn't eaten since uh, yesterday, this time, yesterday. So, Larry, first impressions, iPhone. iPhone. Well, working for a major corporation that, that happens to manufacture cell phones, I I, I, I hope it fails terribly. But, but my... my, my, my 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 pension counts on it, uh, but, but uh, the reality is it is just spectacular. It, it's, it's everything I, I would love to carry in a phone and do not dare in, in my office. Uh, uh, only thing I would like to see maybe in a future model would 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 be a hard drive uh, to carry uh, uh, more, more content, more media, because uh, that's what it's all about. My own iPod, 660 gig, it's full. I think the uh, the larger capacity is going to come when flash memory gets larger. I think that you're going to see the uh, the end of the physical moving hard drive and digital players. Flash memory is just getting so much more powerful, so much larger. Yep. Uh, David Weeks is over here typing away on an email, but we're going to. What was the one feature about the? Uh, not, not an email. No. My uh, the wrap up of uh, thoughts and observations, but uh, a couple of quick thoughts that I had about the phone. Price points were pretty much what uh, I thought, what the rumor sites thought. I want to know, who is State Farm going to come out with an insurance policy for your iPhone? Because you could lose a lot of stuff. It's expensive. Second thought, um, will it come with a makeup remover for women? Uh, because you're going to be cleaning the screen a lot. Probably not so much of a problem for us, uh, less than hairy guys, but uh, hairy guys and women may need to deal with uh, screen clutter. Also... There's a huge ecosystem for iPod accessories. Cases are big. You see them in the gym. Guys, you know, got their iPod in the case strapped to their arm or their leg or their neck or wherever. The whole front of the iPhone is virtu it's virtually all screen. How are you going to get a case to cover this yet not interfere with the touchscreen functionality? I haven't figured that one out yet. Well, I would say that uh, one of the neat things, and I'm glad Apple did this, is they went with a standard 30 dot connector for the iPhone is standard on the full-size iPod. So I think you're going to see a lot more uh, accessories for this iPhone, iPhone coming out. We can't really be sure uh, how sensitive the, the motion sensing device is within the iPhone that allows you to go back and forth and pinch it and open it and all the, the cool things. That I, I, got, I got to say, I was very impressed with the whole thing, but when he did that pinch that to was, zoom, yeah. that's what got me. The, the pinch oh, to zoom, cool. I went, started. oh, yeah. that's it. So let, let's get Nemo's, some of Nemo's uh, thoughts and opinions. I'm going to hand the mic over. Since I do a lot of technical support and training, I'm pretty concerned about the Apple Care Protection Plan. Marty! Oh, we just found John Martellaro. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned with the Apple Care Protection Plan. 
And I'm going to hand, the, hand this back to Guy because I'm temporarily speechless in the sound of Tim's foghorn voice. So I'll be back. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. Well, how you doing? It has been a little while since I had the last MacCast out, but consequently, you are going to get a really big show today. We've got a lot of great things to cover, lots to discuss, and I think we're going to have a whole lot of fun at the same time. So uh, come along with me. Let's uh, jump right into the Mac news. Hey, wait a minute. It's not the MacCast. Nope. It's my Mac podcast number 117 with our special guest, Adam Christensen from the MacCast. And it's another wintry day here in the uh, West Michigan area. And hopefully this snow will clear out before Chad and I have to spend March 10th driving up to Grand Rapids to do our, uh, what's going to be really... I hope, a really successful podcast sure. at the Apple Store. I'm really looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. But we're joined today with a special guest, and that is Adam Christensen from the MacCast. Hi, Adam. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing a lot better that you're on the show. Um, Adam and I had emailed a few times in the past. I mean, we're both Mac podcasters, and mm-hmm. uh, we both started roughly around the same time. I think Adam started... Uh, about a month before I did, uh, I started at the very end of December, and I think he started at the very beginning of December 2004. So we were, we were pretty uh, early on the this whole podcasting thing, eh, Adam? Uh, for Mac podcasters, yeah, that that's very early. Um, yeah, it was early December, I think, uh, December 13th. So I guess mid-December is really more accurate. You know how I found out about you? After, no. I, I, after I started our podcast, I thought... Oh, I'm, I'm, I think I should name this like instead of podcast a Maccast. So I went and did a name search, and it was already taken. <laughs> and I went, oh wow! Oh, who's got the Maccast? <laughs> I just barely snuck in there. Then you did literally because I, I was going to go grab that, and it was already taken. I said, "Ah, it'll just be the My Mac Podcast until I come up with a better name." And here we are, over two years later, and it's still the well, My Mac Podcast. <laughs> Now you had the, you had the website for for a while before that, right? Right. For the we're, podcast, I, I think we're a little bit different than most other podcasters. Most other podcasters, that's what they do. They, they're podcasters. Whereas um, I've been doing mymac.com since 1995. So the podcast is kind of uh, in addition to the website. It's not really the focus of the website. For every for every one person that listens to the podcast, we probably get a thousand people that are reading their content online, the articles and the reviews and that sort of thing. So right. it's a little right. bit different, it, but it's it's still, we're, we're all serving the Mac community as best we can. Yeah. So you started the MacCast in uh, December 2004. Why did you start the MacCast? Well, uh, because it was the early days of podcasting, and I, I'm probably like you, from what I would bet I'm going to go out on a limb and guess it might be the same reason you started your show was, um, I was kind of listening to podcasts, and there were a few technology podcasts out there, but I'm a huge Mac fan, so I was like, well, where's the Mac podcast? Yep. Yep. And uh, there wasn't a ton of them out there. There, there were a couple uh, radio shows, internet radio shows, that were being pushed out as podcasts, and I was looking for something a little bit different. They were kind of long format, a little longer format. I was looking for something that would deliver me in short format, like 10 or 15 minutes, just the the news headlines for the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's actually how the MacCast started out. I did like a 10-minute show, and it was just a rundown of all the, the news stories that were up on all of the Mac websites, just to kind of summarize it for people, because I saw it as an opportunity for me to save time. I, I was driving into work. I had an hour commute, get into work, and I'd be on all the Mac sites getting up to date on my Mac news. I thought, well, if I could just listen to it, you know, get the information in an audio format while I'm driving on my commute that saves me time i'm done and uh, that wasn't out there and so i decided well i'll create it because if i want it i'm sure there's other people out there that want it and that kind of was the birth of it but then it changed really really quickly obviously now i mean now my show is uh anywhere between 40 minutes and an hour and we still do the news stuff but there's a lot of other podcasts that that cover that aspect in the short format and so um, I try and now inter- in- inject my own uh, opinions and, and personality, and it's become more of uh, what I call a community podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate for Mac user groups. I think they're still a great resource to uh, meet like-minded people and, and share ideas. Um, so 
I started getting feedback from people and I realized this was kind of like the experience I had at a user group where you'd have a dilemma or find out a piece of software that you'd go share with, with someone. I was able to share that through my podcast globally and get feedback and someone come, come back and, and suggest a different program that maybe I didn't, wasn't aware of or a different solution to a problem. And so this exchange of ideas. So that's become kind of the meat of the MacCast is uh, people you know, will write in or send me an, a comment and we'll use that as a launching point to go deeper into a subject. And we're here with Macworld's Chris Breen. Hi, Chris. Hi. So, you know, I bet most of the podcasts that you get on, you're always talking about Apple gear and the latest Mac stuff and so on and so forth, correct? Right. Yeah, we, we don't want to do that. No. Okay, good. <laughs> let's talk about the Zoom, shall we? <laughs> Actually, let's. Uh, we wanted to go back in time a little bit and find out how you got involved with writing as well as covering Apple and the Macintosh and when and how and, and all the fun stuff. So let's start at writing. How did you become a writer? Um, it was dumb luck. It was. I was a musician at the time, and I had a Macintosh Plus, which tells you how long ago this was. And my girlfriend at the time was working at Mac User Magazine. Um, as a working musician, I was using my Mac Plus with MIDI gear. I was using um, Mark of the Unicorns Performer, which is like Performer yeah. 1.0 at the time. And an editor was standing outside of her cube, and he said, I have these three MIDI utilities that we need to have covered in news and we have no idea what MIDI is. We have no idea who can write about this stuff, and we're desperate. And my girlfriend sort of put up her hand tentatively and said, well, my boyfriend uses that stuff, and he uses his Mac, and, uh, and maybe he could do it. And the editor said, so can he write? And she replied, well, he wrote for his high school newspaper. Which, Which really is all the qualifications you usually need. Exactly. <laughs> Great on your resume. And he was so desperate that he said, okay, I'll give him a chance. And so she brought home the software. I stayed up all night. I wrote the three news pieces. And he liked what I did. And from there, I just started getting more and more work until till I am where I am today. Now, you didn't, it's not just Macworld, though. You wrote for Mac User and Mac Week as well, correct? Yeah, when I started out, I, I was a freelancer for Mac User, and I eventually became a contributing editor there, which is sort of a highfalutin title for a freelance writer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, when Mac User and Macworld merged, I remained a contributing editor for Macworld, and I really didn't become an employee of Macworld until about a year and a half ago. Wow. Were you doing other writing gigs at the same time, or was your focus on the Mac? Uh, it was almost entirely on the Mac. I've done some outside writing. I've actually written for a, um, a magazine called iNet, which is for ophthalmologists. Wow, <laughs> wow. really? <laughs> yeah, and I know absolutely nothing about ophthalmology. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. I've been writing uh, MyMac.com for 12 years now, and I don't really know Macs that well. So, Well, there you go. <laughs> so... Here's a few uh, people know that. Yeah, few people know that. Uh, here's a general recommendation, though. If you walk into your eye doctor's office and you see a copy of iNet magazine, run away because <laughs> he's been reading my stuff and and maybe following some of those procedures, and they're let, dangerous. Let, each and every one. They approach you and you saw <laughs> iNet and you thought, well, it's got an I in it. I oh, can write about that. that. Well, exactly. <laughs> What's yeah. the jobs up to now? <laughs> <laughs> It was just one of those funny things. It was an editor of mine who had been at Mac User, and she'd gone on to, to run this thing. And actually, there was some computer-related stuff uh, that they wanted to do for the magazine, and she thought of me. And so generally, if I've written outside of the Mac industry or the Apple industry, it's because an editor of mine has gone somewhere else and said, oh, we need somebody reliable who works cheap, and so we'll get Chris to do this. Mm. <laughs> Nothing like being known as reliable and cheap. Yeah, I mean, that really, you know, for all of you would-be writers out there, that's the way to make your uh, <laughs> make your mark is uh, reliable and work cheap. But given that now there's the web, everybody's working cheap. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and if you have to blog every day, you're, you're reliable. Yeah. So did you catch any of the, uh, the D conference this past week? And did you watch the videos with Steve Jobs and uh, Bill, Bill Gates. Gates up on stage? I didn't watch the videos. Um, Macworld was blogging the thing live. Jason Snell, who's our editorial director, was doing it. So I followed the live blog, and I, I kind of read the highlights of the things, and some of the comments were great. I thought it was interesting that the Jobs and, 
and Gates were very nice to each other. You know, they sort of played the grand old men of the technology business, and they didn't have to take shots at each other. And uh, although I understand that Gates was a little bit miffed about the Mac versus PC commercials, yeah, he didn't seem very happy about that. And uh, <laughs> when Steve Jobs interrupted him towards the very beginning to tell a Steve Wozniak story. Gates kind of had this little little bit of a miffed look about him, like, oh, fine, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was that look of, I'm about to be hit in the face with a pie. Well, you know, I, I was actually reading Jason's coverage of it as he was live blogging it, and I came back and read the whole thing again. I thought, oh, I don't really need to watch it now because I, I read it. But mm-hmm. then I actually did start, I'm about part halfway part three right now, and there's seven uh-huh. parts, so it's, it's quite long. And you really get more out of it by watching it than just reading it. It's really interesting to see the difference between these two guys. Mm-hmm. One seems extremely confident about his ability and his company, and the other one seems a little almost nervous. Like, boy, I hope they don't ask me any really difficult questions that I'm going to have to answer for. Well, I think that's also part of Gates' demeanor. You know, he's not mm-hmm. really a showman. He really is a revenge of the nerds kind of guy. You know, and if, and if the two of them were in a you know revenge of the nerds six. Jobs would kick sand in his face just because Gates is that kind of nerd, not That's because true. he's more of a towering intellect. But also, Job uh, Gates is really, you know, he's kind of moving away from Microsoft. He's interested in his foundation work, which is brilliant. You know, I mean, it's wonderful right. that he's doing that kind of stuff. And Jobs really is very much still on the move in terms of Pixar and Disney and Apple. Um, so I think that may explain part of the, you know, the sort of dynamism of Jobs and maybe the more laid-back character of Gates. Mm-hmm. Well, let me uh, jump ahead to, to a little bit of more current events. Uh, a while back, Editor-in-Chief Harry McCracken of PC World quit. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of talk about, uh, well, it was because uh, an ex-Macworld person was in charge now, and he was trying to squash any anti-Apple articles at PC World, which mm-hmm. some people believed. I personally didn't. Um, but then it started coming out that, well, you know, at, at Macworld, Apple can just pretty much squash anything like that, and that Macworld is really in the pocket of Apple. I personally didn't believe that, but what's your response to that, those allegations that came out? I thought that was interesting, yeah. When Harry walked out, I've, I don't know Harry well. I've, I've met him a couple of times, and we get along. And I know Colin Crawford, who was um, the CEO the CEO at the time, and, and Colin and I have worked together for a number of years. And so I just was sort of watching it from the outside, and suddenly Macworld got swept into this thing, yeah. sort of through, through innuendo. It's like, wait a minute, we had nothing to do with this. <laughs> you know, we're just doing our jobs here. Um, I thought it was interesting that, and it may be just to the, the cynical nature of, of today, how people view the media. I mean, I when I look at the mainstream media, largely about politics and I sort of see stories that are written a certain certain way I'm just like everybody else I say ah they're on the take or they're getting dinner with this guy or there's some kind of undue influence happening here but when you're on the receiving end of it and people are implying that you're on the take or that Apple can call any one of us at any time and say you must not publish that story you must do this or do that it's it's annoying because it's absolutely not true um you know, I would see comments where people say, "Oh, well, you know, obviously they're writing positive reviews because these people advertise with them or something else." I work very much on my own, as do a lot of the writers. I have no idea who's advertising with us, nor do I care who's advertising with us. Every so often at a MacWorld Expo, a vendor will come up and say, "Oh, I advertise with you." You know, like so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't care, uh, and I—I I mean, I don't mean to be rude to people, but that's my job is to not care who advertises with us and. And Apple is just another company, as far as I'm concerned. Fortunately, I have enough knowledge and experience with the company to understand their products pretty well. And Apple has been making some really good stuff for a, a number of years. And so, yeah, you don't see us kick Apple's products around very much because they haven't produced a product that's really lousy. In uh, well, the cube is the last one that really comes to mind, or the round mouse, or something. So Apple has its problems occasionally, but you know the idea that Apple calls anybody at MacWorld and says you have to do this is, you know, it's simply not true. They may put pressure on the CEO. I don't know, but it, it, the pressure would stay there and not trickle down to anybody on staff. 
As it should. And I think the people that were probably making that accusation are those probably PC users that never read Macworld to begin with because I've read many a critical of Apple articles in Macworld and I found it pretty much unfounded. I was, these people obviously are not reading Macworld because you're not Apple's best friend and I don't think that you guys would be the success that you have been over this many years if you are simply in Apple's back pocket. People expect to hear critical articles and or read critical articles. I don't think you guys have ever really disappointed in that. Well, yeah, I mean, we certainly try not to, but you know, I understand that people, you know, they have all right, all kinds of reasons for being unhappy. Um, I read one thread where I recognized somebody who had been a forum visitor in our forums, and we had to boot him out because they were so obnoxious. This guy had an axe to grind, and so he went in and he made disparaging comments about the magazine, hinting that we were on the take. And it's like, no, it's because you were a jerk, and we tossed you out of our forums. Sorry. Um, you know, so you, you read the stuff, and you just have to take it with a grain of salt. So, some people either they're not familiar with the magazine, or they're unhappy about something we've done in the past, or they, it's personal, you know, so... You just sort of say, okay, that's that's your opinion, and and most people appreciate what we do, and a few don't, and, and that's just the way the world works. For those who are looking to become a writer, um, you pretty much have to grow a thick skin. Do you think that's more true now with the age of the Internet with instant feedback, or do you think it's more of a, a dialogue between your readers than it ever was before? Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, yeah, you have to have more or less a, a thick skin because... When you're posting on the web and and stuff comes out immediately, um, they have their comment sections in their forums, and I think that's good. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that readers have contact with the people who are providing that content. Um, but every so often, people have a hard time, and they, get, they can get really personal about it. Um, and I found that the best solution for that, if I get either email or on a forum, is, is speak directly back to that person. And invariably... They're shocked that you are a real person. Mm-hmm. I've you know, got if that I, if, Yeah, if I reply to somebody in, in a polite way and say, okay, I understand you have this problem. This is why I wrote whatever I did, and this is how I came to those conclusions. And more often than not, they'll say, oh, gee, I didn't think you'd actually read this. Well, you said it to me, so <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah, I did read it. And, and of course, I, you know, I care about what I write, and I, I try to make it as accurate as possible, and I want people to learn something and and get something out of what I write. So if somebody's unhappy, I, I do want to read about it and figure out why, and if it's something I can address, I'll try to. And if they're just upset because they're upset, then that's too bad. I've had people ask me this question, and my answer, surprisingly, was no, and I, it kind of surprised me when I really thought about it, but would you want to work for Apple Computer? Well, Apple Incorporated now, I'm sorry. I'll never get used to that, by the way. It'll always be <laughs> Apple Computer Incorporated to me, but... Uh, if you could work for Apple, would you want to? Well, let me describe my current job. Um, I commute downstairs. <laughs> um, I occasionally get dressed before 3 p.m. <laughs> I eat when I want to. Yeah, I mean, I get to go off and see my daughter. Um, I have, and I get to write about Max and play with really cool stuff. So I have the best job on earth. Um, the idea of then driving over the hill to work at Apple and working six, seven days a week sometimes, which I, I do here, but at least I'm home, um, is not that appealing to me. I think Apple does wonderful work, but I know they run lean. Those guys work really, really hard. I think the stuff that they do is very interesting, and there may come a time in my life where I'd, where I'd want to do that, but I don't have sort of that dewy-eyed view of Apple that is, oh, it would be like going to Oz, because yeah. it's not. It's like going to another company where you'd get to do cool stuff, but you work really, really hard. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's any... Mis- uh, well, how could I put this? Most of the people that I see that work for Apple are young guys or young mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's a coincidence. I think that people burn out working for a company like Apple, and new people come in, and the older people move on to less demanding jobs. Yeah, I think that's the case, and that's the case of a lot of companies in Silicon Valley. With you know whoever, you, if, whether you go to HP or Intel or some of the other ones, a lot of the people that work there are young because it's that kind of thing. And or particularly if you're doing startups, you know, when eBay started, everybody was young and they all worked a jillion hours, and now of course they're all retired. But um, that's the kind of 
people you need to do some of these high-stress jobs because by the time you get into your 40s or late 30s, you've got a family. You want to spend time with them. You don't want to be working all the time. If you can go back in time uh, with two pieces of equipment and meet the two Steves when they were first starting Apple in that garage, uh, what would the two pieces of equipment be? What would you take back and show them what the company uh, eventually creates? Or would you even want to do that? I think I would have been afraid of Steve Jobs even then. You think so? <laughs> <laughs> even if I was old enough to be his father, I think I would still be intimidated by the guy. Um, well, I would obviously I'd take back the iPod. I'd take back the, the newest, coolest iPod that they had, and I'd say, look at this. I know you guys didn't invent it, and, but someday you're going to sell one, and you're going to be looked upon as a rock star because you did um what other gear would i show them it doesn't even have, let's let's not even say it's an apple product if you if you could take the ipod was one but then something else that's not macintosh related with is there one thing that you would love to show visionaries like that 30 years ago I'm gazing around my office at all the cool stuff that I have in here, and I'm wondering what it might be. He'd you bring know, back the Xbox 360 and tell Steve, <laughs> you're going to invent something called the Pippin. Stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> don't bother. Um, I don't, gosh, you know, I, you know I, what I think I would do is, I, a lot of those lines, I think I would take my Newton 2100 back. Really? Mm. Yeah. So do you I still said, regret Steve axing the Newton project? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm not sure that Apple had the right attitude about that in the first place. They, I remember interviewing a guy. This was a couple of a couple of years after the Newton was killed, and I had my 2100 with me. And I was interviewing him, and I was taking notes on my Newton, and he said, "Oh, you know, I I used to be the product manager for that." Oh, really? Well, here it is. Could you know autograph it? And and, um, and he said, "Well, I just wish you'd bought more of those things." And and my thinking was. I wish you'd marketed it better, yeah. and maybe more people would have, because you guys, I mean, at that time, it's like, well, look what Palm's doing. Those are your old people, and they're doing very well at this time, mm -hmm. and you guys just blew it. So, yes, yeah, Steve killed it, but it wasn't doing well at the time. Um, it would have been interesting to see what had happened if they'd kept going with it, but I think they just weren't looking at it the right way. So it was, maybe it's just as well that it, it died and, and went off to Palmland. What's Chris Breen's favorite non Apple non Macintosh gadget right now. My piano. Is it really? Yeah. I have a Hamburg Steinway, which is for people who know pianos, they that would elicit an ooh. ooh. And people who don't, <laughs> the the difference is that the New York's there are two Steinways, New York and, and German. And the New York ones are, are made in a factory and they're very nice, but the German ones are like handmade and they feel so great they've just played beautifully so and they're nice and bright so yeah it's my piano it's uh it's a steinway o for those people who know which isn't enormous but it just really does everything i want and it's i could give up every machine i own and keep that one thing and i'd be happy mm. i have a uh, light blue shirt that says i think it's circus du mac that uh is proof that chris breen still plays music to this day Oh, that's right, the Cirque du Mac. Yeah, Cirque du Mac. yeah. It, he, uh, you guys are really good. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, that's probably the majority of our listeners right now. During the MacWorld Expo, you get together with some other Mac users, uh, Brian Chafin. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, Brian Chafin, uh, Bob Levitis, yeah. Paul Kent, who runs MacWorld Expo, yeah. um, Dave Hamilton, who's yep. with the Mac Observer, and that's my phone. If that's for me, I'm not here. Okay. Um, it's going to ring four times before it does something, so you want to stop and edit? Nah, we're good. Okay. All right. Then we won't. I'll just turn this down. And <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, Chuck Latornis plays bass, and, uh, and Dwayne Straub also plays bass. And it's a surprisingly good band. We've been playing together... Gosh, about six years now. I don't want your interest rates. I'm not interested in your interest rates. Wait a minute, what was I, that? I don't know. I mean, here I am disturbing your lovely podcast with somebody offering interest. Maybe we should have broadcast that. Yeah, and then we could have charged them for advertising. Exactly. Public performance rights. That's right. Uh, oh, anyway, about Macworld All Solar Band. So we rehearse exactly once before we play. 
and we do it the weekend before. And um, and this last time, the band really came together. It sounded really, really good. I was I was really happy to play with them. So it's a fun thing for us to do, you know, because during the week we're all geeking out and we're all speaking and, and busy doing business stuff. And this is one night that we get to take off and drink beer and play loud music and, and have a great time. Well, I tell you, uh, Guy Searle and uh, Larry, uh, two of our writers at MyMac.com and myself, went to that party, and I, I have to say you guys were fabulous that night. It was really, really entertaining. You guys are a lot more entertaining and uh, talented than I was prepared to give you credit for when I thought, who's playing? Oh, boy, this is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's generally people's reaction, but it helps that uh, Dave Hamilton, who pays... What's the bill for this thing? Provides an open bar. So yes, that um, helps, definitely. <laughs> free drinks certainly helps. We are so much better in that second set than we are in the first. <laughs> no, you guys you guys are really good. I, I was very impressed. So uh, what is your favorite Mac of all time, not including what you have sitting on your desk right now? What What's the one that got you the most excited to get and it didn't disappoint once it was on your desk? Wow. I think it would have to be my very first one. Really? The Mac Plus? Was, well, it, would, it was actually a 512KE, mm. and um, I got it. There was a guy I was in my band at the time. The guitar player was working at Computer Land, and he had this old Mac, and he showed it to me. And I just, you know, I'd never used a computer before. And he showed me what he, I could play my MIDI instrument to, and I could edit the data. I was like, wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. So he was trading up to a Mac Plus, so I bought his old KE. And over time, I upgraded it and ended up being the most expensive Mac that I've ever owned. I finally put an O30 processor in this thing. I mean, it was just the Franken Mac. <laughs> and uh, I paid $1,000 for a 100-gigabyte drive. and oh, it, was just, it was an amazing piece of machinery. And I just became obsessed by the thing. And what really helped was, back to my girlfriend and Mac user, is that what people don't know is that when they're finished with some of that software, they give it away to the people on staff. So she would bring home a couple of pieces of software, and I'd just load it. You know, anything that came along, I would throw it into the machine. And she said, well, is there anything else you wanted? Yes, everything. Get everything you can. And uh, I was completely obsessed by the machine, and she would bring home boxes. I mean, literally, we went to the office one weekend, and I filled up my pickup truck with software and I ran every single bit of it on this poor Mac Plus that was just chugging along desperately trying to run it and some of it wouldn't run at all because it was meant for a color Mac I didn't care so um, that had to be the most exciting machine I've ever owned I had a 2CX after that that I really liked a lot and I had a um, power computing machine that was great Power Tower 180E yes. was a wonderful machine yeah it was I liked that one myself that was a good machine everybody wanted the, the Power Tower 225 yeah, that that was the killer. But everyone seemed to have the one eighty. <laughs> it was yeah, like twelve hundred dollars cheaper. So it know. was yeah, it was it was far less expensive. And given what Apple was doing at the time, it was a much better machine than what yeah. Apple was turning out. Definitely, which is why they pretty much killed the clones because power computing, at least I thought, wasn't expanding the market, which was the mandate of all the clones. They were infringing on Apple's current customers. Yeah, they were, and that was pretty clear to Jobs when he came back in, and he said, they're eating our lunch. You know, They promised they would expand the, the market, and they're not. They're just taking sales away from us. And at the time, I was at Mac User, and we did it. At that time, because there were so many Mac models, we would do, you know, which is the best Mac for you feature every year. And, gosh, there had to have been like 35 of them or something, mm -hmm. and Apple didn't get a single one. I mean, we... we Picked the top ten, and none of them were from Apple because yeah, they were so was, weak compared to the clones. Mm -hmm. Umax was getting really popular there for a while as well. Yeah, yeah, there were a bunch of them, and but Apples were just underpowered and overpriced compared to the clones. Why do you think that was? Well, I think Apple at the time was still charging a premium, and they said, you know, I mean, obviously they they put components in there that worked really well together, but companies like Power were fleet of foot they had a much smaller staff they could produce machines more cheaply by using less expensive parts and turn out these really dynamic machines so they can move very quickly too if something something faster came along hey we can we can throw that into our machine where it would take apple like three or four months to kind of ramp up on it so they were always chasing the clone companies which was hard for them to uh, manage if you can be covering if you could cover any other industry right now other than computers or technology what would you be covering well, I used to cover games for a while, um, 
I did computer gaming world. I wrote for them quite a bit. And I burned out on that finally. The way to burn out on playing games is you become the game colonist for Mac mm. World. And then, <laughs> or you write books about games. And a couple of years of that, you go, okay, enough. So I would have said games. Um, probably music industry because I have a, a deep and abiding interest in, in music and, and still do, you know, not only performing, but digital music too. I think I do a lot of that on playlistmag.com. But um, I'm fascinated by what's happening with media today and how it's being distributed and recorded. And how the old models have crumbled, really, that um, there are other ways of getting known now and, and, uh, and distributing your music. And I think it's good. I think there's a lot of really good music that people are being exposed to now, thanks to it being distributed differently, that, that iTunes now is a way to do it, rather than being fed you know, the, the top 20 hits on radio. Are you kind of surprised by the merger of the music industry and the computer technology industry? A little bit. But I think it took Apple to do it. Um, you know, if Microsoft had been left to, to do this, it never would have happened or would have happened really badly. Um, Apple is, you know, they're smart enough to kind of see where things are going and, and know where people's interest lies. And they finally managed to meld two really cool things, which are gadgets or really cool machines and music. And that hits the perfect demographic for them. You know, the 18 to 24, that's what they're interested in. So it, it seems a logical thing that Apple went in and, and started doing that and came up with such a nice way to move to the next step that prior to Apple getting into the iTunes business, the music industry was floundering. They had no idea what to do. They were following the old model of, of creating CDs and then thinking, oh, well, maybe we could come up with a new format so everybody has to buy the Beatles again. Or we could find a way to copy protect this stuff. And it was just more of the same. And Apple came along and said, no, we don't have to do it that way. We can, we can make this possible because more and more people are getting broadband. And we can make this affordable. And we don't have to rely on you guys anymore to promote music and make it popular. We can do that. And we can move to the next step. And, and they're starting to do that with media as well in terms of movies and TV shows. And I think that's an interesting thing as well. Why do you think the Beatles keep getting so much press about, oh, the Beatles going to be in iTunes soon? And I mean, you read a, an article like that every three or four days now when the Beatles are going to be in iTunes. And it's it's been like that for at least two years that I can remember. Hmm. What, what yeah. do you think the big draw there is? Because I figure anybody who's a Beatles fan probably already, like me, I've already got all their albums. I've already imported all my CDs at you know a very high bit rate into iTunes and on my iPod. So I, I don't get it. Yeah, I think part of it is just simply being able to have bragging rights and say, we got them, and you guys didn't. And I think Apple will get them. They've got a nice relationship with, with the old Apple records. And part, so part of it is bragging rights. And you're right. I have the Beatles stuff on everything. I've got it on vinyl. I've got old 45s. I've got CDs. I've got tapes. Um and so I'd be hard-pressed to download it and purchase it again, except, and I think this is probably what will happen, is they're going to remaster that stuff like they did with the Love compilation album. And not just sort of clean it up a little bit, but really get in there and tweak it so you can hear the instruments much more clearly than you could in the past. Mm -hmm. So it'll be like the Sistine Chapel after they cleaned it off and you walk in and go, wow! And I think that's probably what they'll end up doing, the Beatles catalog, and sell it that way, DRM-free at higher bit rates, and they'll get people like me to buy it all over again. So you think Apple will be, or uh, the Beatles will be DRM-free in iTunes? I think so, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that they're going to try to sell this stuff protected at, at a low bit rate, like 128. Partly, I think, they haven't announced that this is going to happen because they're waiting for the DRM-free stuff to be there and then off. In 1980, I was 10 years old, and in 1990, I was 20. That means I went from child to man in the middle of the 1980s and grew up surrounded by what I feel some of the best music ever created. One of the biggest bands of the decade, Night Ranger, had some of the most played songs on the FM dial. When You Close Your Eyes, Don't Tell Me You Love Me, Sentimental Street, The Secret of My Success, and of course the one everybody remembers, Sister Christian, were all tunes that I rocked out to. Night Ranger has a new album, Hole in the Sun, which comes out next month. Singer, songwriter, and drummer for Night Ranger, Kelly Kagi, this is also a Big Mac user, but you didn't know that. And we were fortunate enough to have Kelly on the show this week. Kelly, thanks for coming on the My Mac Magazine podcast. Oh, no problem. This is a, this is a, this is a great opportunity. 
Kelly, I have to say, you know, I got a pre-release of Hole in the Sun, your your new album, and man, this this album really, really rocks. I mean, it, it's really, really hard. You know, once you get deeper into it too, you'll realize that there's still some, you know, there's a lot of old Night Ranger in there. Uh, you know, we just we're just grown over the years, and uh, you know, we have a lot of different, uh, you know, musical styles on this thing, kind of. You know, um, so we got a chance to experiment, not having a record company's you know, um, breathing down our throats or, or, you know, trying to micromanage. You know, I've had problems um, that way, you know, with doing solo records and you have record companies that are like, you know, micromanaging the whole thing and, and it just ends up being really uncreative. That's always a good you know? thing. Oh, what about, you know, writing another Sister Christian or whatever? It's like, how do you do that? You know, I mean, really, how do you put yourself back in that situation? But having, you know... Um, you know, lots of time. We we gave ourselves lots of time in, in between touring and all that. So we we go back to the studio, which was at Jack's house, and we all have studios. I have a, a Pro Tools um, system at my house too, so I could sing backgrounds and I could do little overdubs and stuff like that, and then just bring the files with me and port them into the set of the uh, master session. Well, let me ask you, how does the technology of today, has that changed a lot of the way you make music and the way you could control your music? Well, absolutely. Um, you know, being able to, um, I mean, you know, like like 15 years ago when, when Pro Tools was first out, it was like, hey, rewind and fast forward is instantaneous. You know, it was like, it was like stuff like that. And editing, I mean, it just makes it so fast, you know, I mean, if you want to edit a part out and change the arrangement of a song, it's so easy, of course. It's seamless, you know, and and all the crossfades and everything is, is so perfect. I mean, and and it sounds good now, you know. I mean, it's it, you know, um, they're they're really you know um, kind of honing in on on the audio portion of it and the digital to audio. Um, I mean, digital to to um, analog converters have gotten so much better and you know plus you know you always use the old standard um analog outboard gear to get a great sound and then this thing captures it perfectly you know does it worry you at all that the quality of the music that people are listening to in say mp3 format isn't as quiet the quality isn't there as say on an old lp when night ranger really came to popularity LP was the king, and you guys kind of migrated right into cassettes as well. You guys were really at the cutting edge of all the new technologies. Uh, does the MP3 format scare you in that it, the quality just isn't as good? Well, um, yeah, when I first started to convert, you know, over to MP3, it was horrible, and you just used it for reference only, you know. But I think that MP3 starting to, starting to get better quality. I mean, you can. You know, you can uh, save it uh, as a you know as a much bigger file, and it doesn't you know erase some of some of the you know the, the audio, you know the frequencies and stuff. It's, it's um, that's what MP3s do. It seems like it it does that, and it takes away some of that. But it's getting better. So I mean, we still use it for reference, and you know we still save everything to waveforms and stuff like that. You know, until they improve it, it's going to be uh, you know it'll be. It'll be like that, you know. We'll be just, you know, using waveforms and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I mean, it is what it is. You know, people are, you know, I, I think a lot of times, you know, the average listener in the average year doesn't hear what we hear in the studio because we spend so much time in front of really good monitors and we you know, and we know what we're hearing. You know, so when you listen to it on a, on a, you know, with little with little earbuds and you know and iPods, you know. You're, and you listen all all the time that way. You don't really you you don't really notice the quality change. Yeah. Would you have rather hit it big when you did, or would you have rather hit it big now? In that uh, today with computers, people online they can find music so quickly they can purchase it instantly. In fact, with the iPhone and the iPod Touch, people are going to be able to buy their music right from this little device that they're holding and listen to it immediately. Do you think that's a, a better leg up for new artists, or do you think that the way you guys came up, working the club scene, putting years in before you had your first big hit, uh, you you really hone your craft? Do you think that was the way to go? I think that I, I think you hit on it. That's exactly it. I spent twelve twelve years in the nightclubs before Night Ranger got together. 
you know, so I learned how to play different styles of music, of course. Um, and then, you know, when we, when I actually got a chance to record, you know, it's like, and I'm, and I still go at recording this way. It's like, well, go back in there and sing it. Now we got this device that'll, you know, fix it. It's like, no, you don't understand. Once you get out there and you start performing it live, if you can't recreate this stuff, you're going to be in big trouble because you, you know, people will go, God, they didn't sound anything like, you know, <laughs> you know what they, you know, you know, 15 guitars playing that chorus, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, no, you have to sing that part again. Go in and go in and, and we'll, and we'll punch you in just like we used to in audio, you know, in, in analog. <clears throat> but you, um, you know, you had to learn how to perform, you know, the part. So that was, that was the thing is that you really, you know, had to get better at your craft. You had to, you know, um, say, oh, yeah, I'm singing this note wrong. Every time I get to this vowel sound, I sing flat. Or <laughs> so you just learn how to, you, get, you learn how to, um, you know, get better at what you do, singing, playing, never punched in drums. I mean, do, you, uh, do you enjoy singing more or drumming? What's that? Do you enjoy singing more or drumming? You know, I, I, I look forward to the challenge of doing both of them at the same time because, it's really, you know, it can be tough, you know. It can be tough, um, you know, after you're like four days into the, into the week, you know. I bet. In your fourth show and you're like, oh, man, you know, um, I'm getting tired here, you know. But, um, you know, we're, we're a little bit older. You know, we're all about under 30 now. So. But, um, <laughs> uh, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you, you start to get tired and you really have to reach in deep down and find that energy to keep going. I just find it challenging to do both, you know. I love what's the, what's the new technology is going to do for you guys going forward, uh, both in your solo career? Because you came out with an album just last year, and with Night Ranger as a whole, where do you guys go with the new technology? How does it help you guys record and get the music out there? You know what? It, it helps um, in the speed of it, you know, because we all live in different states, some of us, you know, and... And the fact that they can send me a DVD with the files in the session, and then I can I can work on you know uh, you know maybe backgrounds or you know or some parts. I mean, we try to be all be together, you know, when we're recording the main parts like the basic tracks. Of course, we have to do those together and lead vocals. But when it comes to enhancing and stuff like that, if there's stuff I can do at home, it speeds up that process because I don't have to get on a plane and fly all day, you know, waste a day getting getting to the studio. I can do it. I can bring it to a studio here in Nashville, or I can do it in my um, my home studio. So, um, in that way, it speeds up the process. You know? Do you think that uh, when Napster was the big rage and everybody seemed like they were stealing music, and it, you know, it, it seemed to me that people didn't realize that what they were doing was wrong. Where did Night Ranger and you, in particular, come down on that? I mean, obviously, you weren't happy that you weren't being paid for that. But do you think that it was more of a case that the people that were downloading from Napster either already own your cassettes or, or records, or they weren't going to buy it in the first place? You know, that's um, that's the thing, is that um, people don't realize that it's the songwriters that are being heard here. Mm-hmm. If the songwriters don't, um, you know, um, don't make a living, there's not going to be any, any more good songs anymore. It's like people aren't going to want to give their music away if their livelihood goes away. You know, um, so that's, that's really the thing. I, I remember... You know, uh, when the Goo Goo Dolls came through here five or six years ago when they were opening for Bon Jovi, and uh, they said, yeah, you know, our record is, you know, sold a half, you know, like a, almost a half a million or 600,000 records. He said, but it got downloaded a million times. And it was like, and, and we didn't get paid for that. And it was like, well, you know, that is just so wrong. It's like, what, what if I, you know, the guy that sold for me, what if I go over to his place and I take his TV and, and maybe his car? You know, I mean, it's like, uh, what about that? I'll take your computer. <laughs> hey, I need another Mac, you know? <laughs> so what's the current Mac that you use? Right now I have a G5 um, uh, that I run my Pro Tools on, um, uh, G5 double processor. Um, you know, I have Pro Tools, of course. Um, I have a, a laptop, a G4 that I, I, I hook up my Mbox to. <clears throat> when I when I go on the road, I can bring a microphone with me, and I can do um, either write, start writing a song or I can do overdubs. Mm. I, I did that um, on this album. In fact, I took um, I was at Jeff Watson's house 
while they were recording guitars in the other room, I had my inbox in a in a, a bedroom with a good mic pre and a good mic, and I recorded, you know, uh, lead vocals on two of the songs. It's almost like it's going back to the garage band days where you can record anywhere, but the quality is so much better. Quality's great. I mean, I I, I was so impressed with it, you know, and doing all the A-Bing and all the all the uh, comparing that we've done. You know, it's just um, it's just really amazing. I am really, you know, they've leaps and bounds in the last ten years with the um, you know Pro Tools audio and, and other formats as well. Well, I know the new Night Ranger album comes out next month in July. I've got uh, an early copy, so I, I really appreciate that. And I want to tell everyone they should pick it up. It sounds great. It's going to be on, available on iTunes, I take it? iTunes, uh, also um, Amazon. It's on VH1 Classic Records. And um, VH1 is doing a bang-up job with a promotion on it. We just went to New York and did some interviews and... We, you know, we did, you know, XM and Sirius Radio. Now we're doing your iPod, uh, your i, or what do you call it, podcast? Podcast, and, yep. But we're looking, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I mean, it's really exciting to have a new record for the first time in ten years. What What's the date that it drops? Uh, uh, July one. July first, the very beginning of July. Well, Kelly, we want to thank you coming on the podcast this week, and uh, we make sure that we'll uh, pick up that album and uh, promote the heck out of it because it's really good. It's really rocking, and uh, congratulations on a great new album. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast at our RSS feed at MyMac.com or by visiting the iTunes Music Store's podcast section. Please send all feedback to MyMacPodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the MyMac.com podcast.